I've seen hundreds of kids of all ages and backgrounds practice mindfulness, and each kid's mindfulness practice looks as different as the kids themselves. Grab your favorite caffeinated beverage and get cozy because you are listening to Mindful as a Mother with Paige Bruce and Lindsay Adams. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for therapy or the therapeutic relationship, and the information given in this podcast is purely for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the advice of a professional. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Mindful as a Mother. Last week, Lindsay released an episode called Supporting Your Nervous System. If you haven't yet, I want to encourage you to pause this recording today and go back and listen to that episode because the information that she shared is going to be really important for our topic today, which is mindfulness and our nervous system. So to start, I want to share a story Um, And I actually, on my Instagram, will post a photo of me. When we were moving from Arizona to Idaho, I was alone, essentially. I had my best friend. I had a couple supports. um, But my husband, my main support, lived in Idaho. And so it was me and my three children when COVID hit. And he was gone out of state working. And so I just... I agreed. We had agreed. We had talked about the transition beforehand and what um, I didn't really anticipate was moving into survival mode. And I used this metaphor earlier this week with somebody. And if you have heard it, great. If not, I'm going to tell you anyways. I call it the boiled toad. So it goes, if you put a toad in a pot of boiling water, it's going to jump out. It's going to be its reaction. If you put a toad in a pot of cold water and you turn up, slowly turn up the heat, it won't realize that the water will be boiling until it's too late. I feel like that applies to us and our nervous systems. So I had just spent eight months alone, parenting, working full time, getting my master's degree. And I now just am on the tail end of packing up my entire house doing some light remodeling, getting in touch with a realtor, listing it, selling it. And then I pack a U-Haul up and it's me, the kids, and my best friend traveling across the country so I could move from Arizona to Idaho to join my husband. So we stop in Vegas. And I feel like this is one of those stories where pretty much anything that could go wrong would go wrong. And (laughs) what I didn't realize is that I was already in a pot of boiling water. Like the heat had just slowly been turned up and I had slowly moved into survival mode. And so we get to Vegas. I had already pre-scheduled an Airbnb. It wasn't available when we got there. I couldn't even find the address. And so I'm looking frantically to figure out where we're supposed to go. And I'm calling the host. I'm messaging the host. No one is responding to me. And I'm just straight panicking because I'm in downtown Las Vegas with a U-Haul of everything we possess, my three young children. I don't have a place to stay. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get a place to stay. And so I just like panic, but I'm on the verge 
of just totally losing it. And I don't because it's just me and my three kids, right? I don't want that to be their experience. So I hold it together. I'm exhausted because what should have took four or five hours actually took like 12 to 15 hours. Things messed up with U-Haul. We got lost. Backed up the U-Haul and couldn't get it out of the spot. Tons of stuff. Okay. So we wait about an hour and a half and finally the host's boyfriend contacts us and is like, oh yeah, here, let me like give you the code to get in the house. And I was like, that would be great. So they come, they let us in and we start to settle. And I remember, I remember the experience of staying there, but the thing that really is impressed upon me was a picture that my daughter took of me while I was sitting on the couch drinking a soda because we had picked up dinner on our way. And I look dead. I had deep, deep, dark bags under my eyes. Uh, My hair is a mess. My kids are just running around and I'm just exhausted. I didn't know I looked like that. I didn't realize that that is what I looked like. I look like death walking. By the time this episode drops, you'll be able to go to my Instagram and you'll be able to see that photo. And so we ended up making it. We made it to Idaho. We moved. But now, while I'm learning and understanding alongside everybody else about our nervous system, this example sticks out to me more than almost anything else of how I didn't realize how dysregulated my system was and how I had been living in fight or flight mode existence, fight or flight existence until I look at that photo. And even let's say about a year later, my husband mentioned that he might want to move back to Arizona. All of me just shut down. I was like, I am not willing to pack. I am not willing to move. I'm not willing to uproot the kids. At that point, I was not even willing um, to be alone with the kids for like an extended weekend or day. Like I needed full support because I had been so long without it. But just like the boiled toad, I didn't recognize that I was there until I was already boiling. Okay. So today we're going to talk about mindfulness because Lindsay mentioned a lot of stuff about the nervous system and how she's trying to incorporate what's happening for her and how to heal that nervous system response. We've talked before on closing the stress cycle of your nervous system. And what I thought was really interesting was that we talk about trauma and having traumatic experiences and that lighting our nervous system and how we're existing within this place of fight or flight. But as I read more and I research more, I recognize that this is a common occurrence within parenting in general, or maybe it's with generational. I'll let you guys be the judge. It's not just trauma. Okay, so we are hardwired to go. We have the generation of overnight results. We are in a place where communication happens instantly. And we are always connected, right? We're always getting rewarded with notifications or text messages. And there's this assumption of needing to respond or be active right away. So one thing that I have personally done is started a mindfulness practice because I noticed that even when I was in the moment, I wasn't there. It was feeling really hard to not check my phone constantly and just doom scroll. It was feeling really difficult to just exist with my kids. Even sometimes in sessions, it was very hard to just focus and be attuned to what my clients were saying. And it's because I just wasn't present with myself. 
So we're going to talk a little bit about mindfulness, what the research says. And then we will move into a exercise. I was trying to think of the right word. But we're going to move into an exercise. I'm going to teach you. We'll walk through it so you can tell the difference between um, the state of fight or flight. We're going to talk about some additional tools that research has found. Instead of fight, flight, freeze, we also have befriend, we have attend. Okay, so we're going to talk through some of that. And then I will give some tips on actions on how to start a mindfulness practice that works for you. Because it doesn't necessarily mean sitting and meditating for 20 minutes. It can. Extremely beneficial. But we don't learn new habits or make changes in our nervous system and the wiring of our brain overnight. Even though we're the generation of overnight results. Okay. So what does research say? Psychological research on mindfulness shows that it enhances what psychologists call flourishing. Flourishing is an actual scientific term found by psychologists. And for those that are curious, a lot of the information that I'm referencing is coming from the book, Growing Up Mindful, Essential Practices to Help Children, Teens, and Families Find Balance, Calm, and Resistance by um, Christopher, Dr. Christopher Willard. Okay, flourishing. What is flourishing? Flourishing is the opposite of depression, avoidance, and disengagement. So when you actively participate in mindfulness, it builds emotional intelligence, it boosts happiness, it increases curiosity and engagement, it reduces anxiety, it soothes difficult emotions and trauma, and it helps kids and adults focus, learn, and make better choices. The term flourishing is the opposite of depression, avoidance, and disengagement. That's what the research has shown. So we live in a distracted world. We just talked about this. Our default reaction to stress and unpleasant experiences, even just neutral experiences, is to check out. Like I'm feeling, yesterday I was feeling really tired and very overwhelmed. So in between sessions, I was drawn, my go-to was to check out. And by check out, I mean doom scroll. I'm going to get on my social media and just doom scroll or watch something on Netflix that I really wasn't going to pay attention to because it's on in the background while I'm doom scrolling. I wanted to check my brain out. So instead, I made the choice to go for a sunwalk. If you don't like how it feels inside or you feel like you don't like how it feels inside, you're bored. How often do we hear this from our kids? We're bored in the present moment. Or you're going to check out with something outside of ourselves. So we're watching videos, we're playing a game, we're checking our, our inst um, Instagram or social media feeds, we're scrolling on TikTok. <laughs> so the other thing I want you to know is a study found that young men would rather receive 10 minutes of low level electric shock than spend 10 minutes alone with their thoughts without electronics. I'm going to say that one more time because I just think it's really impactful. A study found that young men would rather receive 10 minutes of low electric shocks, 10 minutes of electric shocks, than spend 10 minutes alone with their thoughts without electronics. So what are some other ways that we tend to check out? And you can let me know if any of these apply to you. For me, binge watching TV late at night. Okay. Eating. 
if I'm experiencing uncomfortable emotions, I'm feeling really stressed, eating was my go-to. Ask me what my Uber Eats bill was while I was single parenting in Arizona. Ask me what my coffee uh, expenses were, like Dutch Bros, BlackRock, Starbucks, while I was single parenting in Arizona. Okay, and then it can get really heavy. And this applies to our kids and it applies to us. So taking drugs, participating in self-harm, and acting out. When we teach ourselves and our kids to disconnect from our experience, we struggle with our emotions. Okay, so now I'm going to take a minute to walk you through an exercise that's going to bring your body into a state of stress. It's going to help us um, understand how our body and brain interprets the stress. So if you're not in a place to do this now, please consider doing this later when you step away, okay? So close your eyes and hold your hands in front of you, making tight fists. Squeeze as tight as you can. Tensing up your arms, your shoulders, your back, your chest. Tense up your whole body, squeezing, squeezing your eyes shut. Now ask yourself these questions. What do you notice in your body when you're squeezed and tense in your mind? What kind of emotions are you feeling? What kind of thoughts are you having? Keep squeezing. When during the day or during the week, you tend to feel this way. When during the day and during the week do you tend to feel like this? Clench those butt cheeks. Squeeze those fists. How does your breath feel? Is your test chest tight? How open or closed do you feel? Are you, are you energetic? What would it be like to feel this tense all the time? Hey, now I want you to release your fists, drop your hands, slump over. I call this the pasta noodle. You're slumped. You're like a cooked spaghetti. Let your head fall towards your chest. And we're going to ask similar questions. How do you notice in your body? What do you notice? What about your mind? What emotions are you feeling? With your eyes closed, really take a moment and just tune in. I have to pay special attention to relaxing my abs. Just letting it happen. Tune into the muscles in your body where you might be feeling tense still and Release that. When during your day or during your week do you tend to feel like this limp pasta noodle? How does your breath feel? How is it different? What would it be like if you felt like this all the time? Okay. So that first position, making our fist, turns on the fight or flight response. So... This helps us, right? We've talked about this before. The fight or flight response is an appropriate normal response. We want to fight or flight when it calls for it. The problem is our body and brain cannot um, differentiate between emotional and physical threats, and it cannot turn itself up. <laughs> okay, so when you are in fight or flight mode, your breath is constricted, your whole body is tight, you're closed, your heart and mind are closed. 
this is what I found was really impactful and something that I wanted to bring up. When you are in this mode, I tell people it's black, it's black and white. When you're in this mode, you have a filter. Okay. And so when you are in fight or flight, or you've been in fight or flight, you're in that pot of hot water. I'm going to use all the metaphors. Okay. Your brain only lets in signs of danger. Okay. One more time. When you are in fight or flight, when you are stressed, when you are overwhelmed, your mind only lets in signs of danger. Even neutral and safe stimuli like helpful parent or teacher are interpreted as dangerous and a threat. So when I first moved here to Idaho, I uh, signed my daughter up at this Waldorf school and it was really good for her, especially in the middle of COVID. And I was living in fight or flight. I had just moved. I was in a completely new environment. I left all of my safety and social supports. I was really just me out here with a dog in the new city in a very small town in the middle of COVID. Okay. At one point, my, my daughter came home and she had extra snacks. And I was like, these, these, these people are like real specific about their recommendations on food they eat. Okay. And so she comes home and was like, oh, she gave me extra snacks because I didn't have any food. Something like that. Okay. What mode am I in? Immediately, my brain let, let in a sign of danger or threat. So instead of me thinking like, oh, they have extra snacks because that's what this teacher does. They provide extra snacks and the kids just have access to it, which is the reality, by the way. I immediately was like, oh, they're giving my daughter extra snacks because they think I don't feed her or they think I can't afford them. Okay. And when I'm telling you on this podcast, I'm like, this, this is this and that is that. It's like, oh, cool. I can logically now be like, oh yeah, that's not the case at all. They just, they just have extra snacks. Like all of the kids collect their uneaten food and they leave it in a snack basket. So if someone wants a snack, they can go and grab one. Right. Okay. I know that today, but my reaction was so intense. And that is really how I interpreted the situation. That was really what my forming belief was. I can't tell you that enough. I had another story or example where the school does like a food week and they sent home all these like organic, wonderful ingredients for this um, squash bean soup and all this stuff. And I was like trying to pack, make this really intense, organic, locally sourced meal because I felt like that was the expectation from the school. And if I didn't meet that expectation, then I was less than and they looked down on me. Well, guess what? My kids ate grapes and went to bed. They did not even eat that soup. Nobody asked me about that soup. Nobody asked me if I made that soup, how I liked that soup. I was not held to any standard or expectation. But I was only interpreting signs of danger or threat. The other thing you need to know when you are existing in this state of stress, and we're becoming familiar with our nervous system right now, okay? When we're when you are in this state, cortisol is the stress hormone. It is coursing through us. What it does is it blocks the brain receptors for oxytocin. Did you know that? Um, oxytocin is the hormone that allows us to feel love compassion, take the perspective of another, and all the cuddly emotions. It Fight or flight, being stressed, living in a state of stress and overwhelm blocks our compassion. And that explains why, as an adult, we're not willing to wait three seconds to let another car merge into traffic. 
waiting in line at the grocery store, or a simple comment made by a teacher is interpreted as a threat. I want you to know that this is real examples from my life and we're getting pretty vulnerable here. But over time, as we build awareness of the things that bring us overwhelm, when our nervous system is overstimulated, when we are overwhelmed, we can start to consciously make different decisions to rewire our nervous system. And that is what a mindful practice is. So we don't have to interpret everything as danger. Right now I'm in this phase where I'm like coming on the other side of it, right? I've been working on my nervous system and I'll tell you how, and I'm trying to make new friends. Making new friends is really hard when you're living in the stress cycle, okay? Because even good gestures are interpreted as untrustworthy threats. I was guarded from making friends. Why? Because obviously you're judging me because I'm a working mom. Because clearly, when you ask me to spend time with you, you're really trying to get something out of me. Okay, what? Like, look, now I'm sounding paranoid. But this is really the response and the reaction when you're living in the stress cycle. Okay, so now I'm in a place where I'm starting to make friends. I'm starting to reach out. I'm starting to interpret things that maybe it was an innocent offer to go walking. Maybe they're not in it for my good looks. That was a joke. (laughs) So not only does it have consequences for our social, our social functioning, right? Because it's very hard to make new relationships or create relationships or strengthen relationships you already have. But also it has long-term physical effects too. They're devastating. They happen to your mental and physical health, like your mood, your ability to think clearly, logically, to challenge yourself, to take on the perspective of another, feel compassion, your immune functioning, your metabolism, relationships. Like I just said, we are rewiring ourselves when we live in stress and overwhelm and we let it just rule us for reactivity. Okay, so now we're going to dive into our next exercise, and I'm going to talk through how fight, flight, freeze are not our only responses. They're not our only options to fear and stress. So there are two other responses that research has found so far, and if you talk to different psychologists, you'll hear different things, and they'll identify different responses, right? New new signs coming out all the time. But for the purpose of this, I'm going to share with you what it means what the response is to attend and befriend. So we can cultivate these responses. That's the best part. And this is the other thing I, we talk all the time about how some coping skills aren't great for all scenarios, right? Not like deep breathing isn't gonna work in every single scenario. This is the same thing with our responses to stress, I know. Crazy, right? So what we practice is what we have the ability to utilize. So fight, flight, right? (laughs) As our natural body moves into it, we can also cultivate different responses. We can cultivate attending and befriending. No, No stress response is wrong. Different responses are appropriate for different situations, okay? And as we create 
the ability to tap in and rewire out of reactivity to tap into these different responses, we're able to rewire our brain and body. And these become habitual. And that way we are able to use them as a response instead of just slipping into fight or flight. Okay, so now sit or stand up and tell you what I mean. Hold your body, but not too tightly, not too loose. Just kind of hug yourself. And now extend your hands out in front of you, palms up and open. My body needed a deep breath right there, so I did it. What do you notice in your body and in your mind? What emotions are you feeling? What thoughts are you having? When during your day or your week do you tend to feel this way? And what does your breathing feel like? What would it feel like to, to feel like this? What would it be like to feel like this more of the time? While still upright, put one or both hands over your heart and feel the warmth created. What do you notice in your body and in your mind? What emotions are you feeling? What kind of thoughts are you having? How does your breath feel? What would it be like to feel like this more of the time? <sighs> I don't know. My body really needs some deep breaths right now, guys. So the position with your hands up and out represents a stress response called attending. This is a different stance than fighting, fleeing, or freezing. Attending to what is actually here. In this stance, right? Think of it. We're likely to feel open, awake, alert, and calm. Rather than avoiding, we are facing directly what is in front of us, whether we like it or not. So instead of escaping, instead of checking out, and we have a clear receptive mind. Okay, so the last position with one or both hands over your heart creates the befriend response. We can think of it as compassion and self-compassion. I feel like this is one of those alluring, alluring's not the word, but one of these topics that ever escapes people. Like we talk about giving yourself compassion, having compassion and self-compassion frequently. And a lot of people are like, what does that even mean? How do I do that? So not only are we staying present for the stress, for what's uncomfortable, for what's neutral, what's difficult for us, but we're actively caring for ourselves in that moment, in this process. We're learning to befriend the uncomfortable feelings, the difficult emotions we're having, the experiences. And then you can learn from your emotions, your inner voices, and then you care for them properly. We begin caring for ourselves, and in turn, we can care for those around us. This is befriending. So again, palms out and up, attending. I'm going to attend what's happening. I'm going to be present for it, even though it's uncomfortable. Basically, like here, I'm holding out this dish. Fill it up. We're here. We're just here. It's not good or bad. We're just here. Hand on our heart. We're befriending. I'm caring for myself. 
by understanding and exploring what is uncomfortable and why it's uncomfortable and what I need to help myself feel better. Those are the two responses that I wanted to walk you through today because they're different, right? And the more that we can practice them, the more we can attend to our nervous system. We can befriend our uncomfortable emotions. These are ways to practice mindfulness and to rewire your nervous system and your brain away from reactivity. Okay, I want to give you guys a little bit of information on what it means, like what is a mindfulness practice essentially, how can you use it, when do you use it, that type of stuff. I did a poll on my Instagram and a lot of people practice mindfulness and a lot of people don't. And that's okay. Um, what I want to do is talk about what mindfulness practice is. So what's really cool is that mindfulness and compassion start with us. And so all of the evidence and the research talks about how through modeling, it allows our kids to see mindfulness and compassion and their effects in action. Why? Through mirror neon, my word, through mirror neurons. Mirror neurons are the things in your brain that light up when we watch other people do stuff. That's why kids learn through co-regulation and modeling. Also, fun fact, if you're watching a scary movie and your heart starts racing, you're feeling really intense it's because your mirror neurons, for them, they activate when you're watching a scary movie, almost like the events are actually happening to you. And you get adrenaline and cortisol, but like in the fun way. <laughs> Okay, the same thing happens on the other part. Okay, you can help model mindfulness and compassion. If you're a parent and you practice mindfulness, this is what the research says, you are likely to have a happier, healthier family with better communication and less conflict. Same thing if you're a teacher and take care of your stress, the kids in the classroom will learn better and behave better. If you're a doctor and work on your compassion, mindfulness, and, and people skills, your patients will trust your decisions, follow your advice, and heal faster. And if you're a therapist like me or Lindsay, your attention and ability to attune to your clients will increase, and they will see improvements in their treatment faster. Isn't that really interesting? So I also talk a lot about parental burnout which is essentially the idea that you don't enjoy being a parent because your ability to meet the needs of what's happening in that role as a parent outweighs what the resources you feel like you have to meet them. And as you incorporate a mindfulness practice, you will decrease burnout. You will increase empathy. Okay. So when you want to start and maintain a mindfulness practice, I think it's really important to diversify the concepts. Okay. So the first question is, when during the day do you have a few minutes to set aside? One minute, five minutes, 10 minutes, early in the morning, lunchtime, during your kid's nap, in the evening before bed. <laughs> there are a lot of options. So I want you to think about it. For me, um, there's something called habit stacking. If you're not familiar with what that is, a lot of productivity coaches, a lot of books talk about habit stacking. So if there's something that you already do consistently every day, put mindfulness on top of that one. So one thing that I do, and this is a period of mindfulness, okay, mindfulness is really as defined as anything that brings you to the present moment. 
to acknowledge what you're doing. And I have one question that I'll give you at the very end that I love. Okay, so habit stacking. Every day we drive down my road to get to the kids' school. When we pass this little community of townhomes, I start um, asking the kids for affirmations. We say our morning affirmations in the car. And so now every day we drive past that road, we have school, we say positive affirmations. We practice that mindfulness. That's habit stacking. In the mornings, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, I like to go to the gym. At the end of the gym, when I'm stretching, I like to listen to a short three to five minute meditation. I'm already getting up and going to the gym. It's already a habit I've established. Now I'm putting mindfulness on top of it. Okay, so that's habit stacking. I also want you to set reasonable goals, right? So if you're like me, and you parents it alone while working full time and doing a graduate program to become a badass therapist, you probably are in a pot of water that is slowly coming to a boil. <laughs> so as slow and gradual it is that we slip into the stress response and living in this level of overwhelm, that's how slow and gradual we need to work on rewiring. So we're setting reasonable goals. Something that I do right now is I found something that I really enjoy, which is being outside during the sunrise. So for me, that's a moment of mindfulness to be out in the morning when the sun rises on a walk. Mindfulness. In the evening, something that I really like to do is I journal. And I don't like write a big long journal entry. I do something really simple because when we're in the stress response, right, it only lets in signs of danger. I'm trying to rewire to positivity and gratitude so I can see something else in my day. So what I do is I write down three highlights for my day, three things that went well. And then I also write down three moments of gratitude. So my highlights are things that went well or things I want to remember. And then I write down three moments of gratitude, like what happened. So another thing with research, right? Because I'm always out here with the research. When you connect with the positive and take time to really feel those experiences and allow them to sink in, mindfulness. What I want you to know is that research shows that negative perceptions, right? The danger that we're sensing are encoded faster in our brain and stored instantly. Going into the like deep, dark back filing cabinet of our mind, telling us that the world is negative, people are out to get us. Okay. Negative experiences are encoded and stored instantly. Positive perceptions take longer to encode and store. 20 to 30 seconds. Did you know that? Positive moments take 20 to 30 seconds to encode and store. Probably because they're not dangerous, right? It's not a threat. But take a moment, 30 seconds, and think about the positive moment in your day. Feel those emotions and allow them to reshape your outlook and encode and store back into the filing cabinets of your mind. Okay. That's one way that I practice mindfulness. Again, habit stacked. Wash my face, brush my teeth, write three things that went well and let it sit 20 to 30 seconds. Okay. The last thing that I want to talk through are some other examples of informal practice. Mindfulness doesn't have to be a formal practice. You don't have to sit down and meditate. Some people really like that, and that's great. Mindfulness is whatever brings you to the present moment, okay? So some examples of informal practices, attunement time, 
What is that? It's the same thing that Lindsay and I talk about having that one-on-one -on -one time with your kids. We put away our phone, we set aside distractions, we set a timer for 10 to 15 minutes, and we just engage in whatever they're engaging in, in their world. That's one way to practice mindfulness. And it models mindfulness for your kids. Mindful eating. Am I really full? Am I hungry? Do I even like the way this tastes? If I don't like the way it tastes, why am I eating it? That's one I have to use a lot. Right? Also, taking a moment to check in with your body. Like, am I hungry right now? and meeting that need. A fun one, cloud watching. Watch clouds take shape, different forms. I want you to focus on planting seeds of the things you already enjoy. What is something that you enjoy? And how can you be present in the moment for it? I love food, y'all. I love to eat, okay? So if I could take a moment and engage my senses and ask myself, like, do I like this? I like the way it tastes. What does it taste like? Cooking for me is very cathartic. So being mindful when I cook. I really like to be a rebel. And so the one that I want to challenge you with is single tasking. What is single tasking? It is the opposite of multitasking. So what we're doing is instead of multitasking and doing all the things at once, which actually you can't do more than one thing at a time, you just do things in rapid succession. The idea that we can multitask is actually false. It's a myth, busted, okay? So I wanna challenge you with single tasking this week. Whatever you're doing, do it with your full and complete focus. Single task. Let's be a rebel to the system. And the final question that I will gift you to ask yourself when debating on starting your mindfulness practice or to start that level of self-compassion, to teach yourself attending and befriending, right? To start mindfulness, you feel like you're disconnecting, you feel like you're overwhelmed. This is the magic question. How do I know I'm doing what I'm doing right now? And then check in with all of your senses and thoughts and feelings. How do I know I'm recording this podcast right now? Well, I can tell you this headset hurts my ears, so it better be good sound quality. I can feel my hair on my neck, which drives me nuts. My feet are on the ground, different pressure points in the balls of my feet. So how do you know what you're doing when you're doing it right now? My main call to action for you guys today, I want you to find an informal mindfulness practice and let it be grown from a seed that's already in you, something that already interests you. Okay, and then ask yourself, how can I incorporate this? How do I know what I'm doing when I'm doing it right now? And then set reasonable goals because as slow and gradual as it takes to boil the water to get our nervous system to that place that we're living in reactivity, it's equally slow and gradual to cool off, to become neutral. So give yourself self-compassion and be uncomfortable in the learning process as you rewire your nervous system from reactivity to being a patient and calm person. The more that you're able to practice, the more that it will impact your family, your relationships, and your children's practice. 
I don't know if you've heard yet, but Lindsay and I are doing a big ass giveaway. That's what we call it. And so Lindsay and I together are giving away one $100 Amazon gift card, one problem solving session with Lindsay and I combined, which normally you don't get both of us when you do it, you get one or the other. So that is a really big deal. And then one copy of one of our favorite parenting books, The Power of Showing Up by Dr. Dan Siegel. So if you are interested in this giveaway, let me tell you what you need to do. You get one entry for subscribing to the podcast. Get your friends to subscribe. You get one entry for sharing our giveaway on social media. You can find Lindsay at Linz underscore Adams, LCSW on Instagram, and me at Parenting with Paige on Instagram. And then you can get five bonus entries for leaving us a rating and review on the podcast. If you do that, make sure you slide into our DMs or hit us with an email to say, done. We can record your entries and you can be entered to win. Please take the time to rate, review, subscribe, and share because it really does so much for the podcast. Thanks for coming to Mindful as a Mother podcast. If you'd like more of us and Mindful as a Mother, you can find Paige at Instagram at Parenting with Paige and Lindsay at Linz underscore Adams LCSW. Find us on TikTok, Instagram, and in our Facebook group, creating community and smashing parental stigma, embracing mindful motherhood and positive parenting. Thanks so much and see you next time.